0: Well it really is with great excitement that I ask you to open your Bible back up to John chapter 1 as we begin to work our way through this book and I believe it's going to be worth your while to come out here on a Tuesday night because we are going to be answering the most important question that any human being could endeavor to answer and that is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? I think who you think Jesus is determines what you do on Tuesday. And I'm not just saying that because we're here at church this Tuesday. I think every Tuesday of your life, you're basically living a certain way based on what you believe about Jesus Christ. And we come here to one of perhaps, if not the most profound passage about Jesus in all of the Scripture, John chapter 1. And tonight, all we're going to be able to handle and we're barely going to be able to handle it. it, is the first three verses. So read it with me. In the beginning was the Word. and The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now when I'm studying... Uh, to come and preach here to you guys at this church. I like to keep other books close at hand, particularly other languages that the Bible has been written in or translated into to try to help me make sense of it in English. Sometimes you can get another perspective by looking at it uh, in uh, another language, particularly the original languages. So by far one of the coolest books that I have in my library, probably the coolest book, is is a book that has the Hebrew Uh, Old Testament and the Greek New Testament all put together into one Bible, and it's pretty cool because if you start on this side, you're reading Greek, and you're working your way through the New Testament, but then if you actually start from us, what's the back, but that means you're reading Hebrew because Hebrew goes from right to left, and so it's the Old and the New Testament all in one book, and so I love to try to read this to get a little bit deeper. But, but then I also have another book very close to this one. It's the second book closest to me. After the Greek and Hebrew, I have the Jesus book. Has anybody ever uh, <laughs> read this book before? I got this the first time I went to Hawaii. And this is a translation of the uh, Bible into a Hawaiian pigeon, which is kind of this uh, street language uh, there in Hawaii. And so, for example, a well-known passage to us like the Great Commission. Well, in the Hawaiian pigeon language, it would read something like this. Go all over the world and teach the different peoples so they can learn about me and come my guys. This is, this is the, I love reading this. It pumps me up. Baptize them and they're going to come tight with the Father and me, his boy, and God's good and special spirit. Teach them how for the everything that I would tell you guys for do. And you know what? I'm going to stick with you guys all the way. There it is. That's the great commission right there. Uh, There it is. See? So every once in a while, I want to see, like, well, how did they put this in Hawaiian Pigeon? And I get some actually, believe it or not, I get some rich insights, actually. For example, as we're going through the Gospel of John... Here's, here's uh, what they would say about eternal life. If you were here on Sunday, we tried to define eternal life. Well, here's how they, whenever they say eternal life, but get that real kind of life that stay to the max forever. <laughs> now, see, that's actually, you actually get a lot more content in the way that they translate it than just eternal life. Like we talked about, a lot of people think eternal life just goes forever, but it's actually life to the max forever, <laughs> Right? Or here's how they refer to Jesus. We might just say Jesus, but in the Hawaiian pigeon language, they'll say the guy that's for real, right? Uh, That pumps me up every time I read that. I'm like, yeah. So the guy that's for real. Here's what's so important. If you don't have the real Jesus, you will not be in his presence after you die. You will be surprised on the day of judgment and you will realize that you really did not know him. And we learned on Sunday, if you were here, that many people, Jesus is clear. When the day comes, many people are not going to know me. The idea that they had of who Jesus is, is not the right answer to the question of who Jesus is. Okay? And particularly, we're at John chapter 1, verse 1. Now this verse is kind of famously uh, misinterpreted by a group of people. That, it's really all over the world. When I was in Hawaii recently, I, I, I was in Hawaii on vacation and I kept seeing uh, kingdom halls of the Jehovah's Witnesses all over the island that I was on in Hawaii. And I mean they are clearly... I, I recently talked to a friend who's a missionary in Japan. Japan barely has any Christianity in the entire nation. It's one of the most dark countries on the world when it comes to Christianity. And yet still, guess who's there? The Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. So when you get to John chapter 1, verse 1, I think we have it in the Greek. This is what it looks like. In the Greek language here. This is how it, how, how it should read. In Arge and Halagas, Kai Halagas, and Proston, Theon, Kai Theos and Halagas. That's, that's the Greek. Okay? Now that reads pretty, pretty much translated to how we read it in the English language. Here's how they do it in the New World Translation. This is the Bible that's given out by the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is said to be the only accurate interpretation or translation in their uh, Uh, understanding i I would call it an interpretation because they're actually putting what they think it means into the text and not really translating it look how they say it in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was what does it say there that's kind of a big difference see is the word god or is the word a god i mean that is what that right there okay one letter that you just put into this verse, that's the difference between heaven and hell right there. Does everybody understand that? Like you can only be saved if you are believing in the real Jesus Christ. And the globe is now covered with this false religion that is telling you Jesus is not God. He is a God. And let me just kind of show you how wrong this is. Let's go back to the Greek now here. Um, and you can see here that they're saying, well, look, there's no article right before theos. Theos, you know from the idea of theology, theos is the word for God. And so they're saying, see, there's no the before God. So that's why we're putting in a God because there's no article there. It's, it's not a definite article. It's an indefinite article. So we're going to put a God. Well, let me just call their bluff. Look, look also where there is no article. There's no article before beginning either. Okay. But let's go back now to the New World Translation and what do they put before the word beginning? So they're contradicting themselves within the within one verse. We could go, I mean we could spend hours showing them how foolish their translation is here. But just because there's no article in the Greek does not mean it's a God. Look what they did in the very same verse where there was no article on beginning. It was clearly referring to the definite beginning. So they put the the in there. When it's clearly referring to the definite God, we should say he was God. We should not be saying a God. So there are so many people that are going to twist what we're going to learn about Jesus here tonight. And because they don't get Jesus right... There will be eternal consequences. And so let's just go through. Let's start with the Jehovah's Witnesses here. And let's just start saying, here's some ways people get Jesus wrong. This is what's at stake. The Jehovah's Witnesses are going to say that Jesus is a God, not the God. We gave you some room to write these down before we even get to our points here tonight. I want to show you the error that some groups of people that that we know, um, that you might end up talking about Jesus now, this is the difference between, I believe, heaven and hell. If you're going to say that he is a God, but not the God, you don't even really know who he is. Now, another group that is very similar in, in how they seem close to Christianity, but actually completely miss it, are our friends the Mormons. Some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, riding their bikes down the street with their ties and their name tags looking all nice there going out two by two do you know that the mormons will actually believe that jesus was a man who became god in fact jesus was born and his brother was who anybody know what the mormons believe lucifer was his brother and jesus turned out to be the good brother and lucifer turned out to be the bad brother does that offend anyone else here tonight First of all, the idea that Jesus was born should be offensive to us. Second, the idea that Jesus and Satan are somehow brothers and somehow came from the same place. Uh, I mean, really, depending on how far down the rabbit hole of Mormonism you want to go, we are all on our way to become gods of our own universes if we do Mormonism, right? It gets pretty freaky when you really figure out what they're saying, okay? Along with um, these common cults, one group that's clearly on the rise on planet Earth are our Muslim friends, the Muslims or Islam. And they would have a positive view of Jesus Christ. If you asked a Muslim what he thought about Jesus, he would treat him with respect because he would see Jesus as a prophet. That's who Jesus would be. Now, they would find the idea of God or Allah, as they would refer to him, they would find the idea of God having a son very offensive and very inappropriate and the religion of Islam, but they will say nice things about Jesus, that he's a prophet. Unfortunately, that's not what Jesus says about himself. It's a complete misinterpretation. In fact, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am, in Matthew 16, as well as Luke 9, and other passages, um, the prophet is the wrong answer to that question. And so, uh, but there are you know, so many people all over the world who believe that Jesus is a prophet under the religion of Islam. What about God's own people? What about the Jews? What would the Jews believe about Jesus Christ? Well, still today, many Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They do not believe that he is the anointed one sent by God. Clearly, many of the Jews in Jesus's day rejected him, but even today, um, you can meet Many Jews, and if you go to a Jewish temple or or synagogue today, most likely they will still be rejecting Jesus as the prophesied one from the Old Testament, as the Christ, the anointed one, the prophet, priest, and king who came to atone for our sins. What about just America in general? What would America say? Well, I think overall... They would say that Jesus is a good moral teacher, that there's some things that we can learn from Jesus. You know, Hillary Clinton will quote the golden rule of Jesus Christ. And uh, President Barack Obama will say that we should do unto others and that we should not judge people. And he will refer to Jesus from time to time. Uh, One group that we don't have on the PowerPoint, but you could write down one more. What would the church in America say about Jesus today? Well I think the truth is that the church in America by and large would have a very lukewarm Jesus and that is why we have a very lukewarm Church. Jesus is not God in all of his glory. Jesus is, uh, you know, he, he's kind of my friend. He's kind of, a, he's kind of a guy who will love me no matter what. He's not really someone to be afraid of or someone who's going to judge me or someone who holds the keys to death and Hades or someone who has the uh, authority over heaven and earth. Yeah, Jesus is just a pretty cool guy. I think there's a lot of that going around. Uh, and even if you listen to some of the worship songs written today, you would think that Jesus loves us like. Uh, like maybe a girlfriend or a, or a spouse and uh, there's just a lot of that kind of lukewarm middle, middle view of Jesus. Is he God? Is he all-powerful? Is is he coming back to reign and to rule over the world? Or is he just a good guy to listen to? There's a lot of confusion. And so it's so important that we start with the real Jesus. Let's just start with that. Point number one, the warning that we need to get out, that everybody here, what you think about Jesus is the most important thing about you. Make sure you start with the real Jesus. Jesus, and hopefully that you'll want to study the Gospel of John, which is designed to introduce us to Jesus so that we would be convinced that He is the Christ, that we would be convinced that He is the Son of God. And by that we mean He is God Himself with a very unique relationship to the Father. Um, and, and so uh, as we get into this, I just got to tell you that trying to pe- preach John 1, 1 to 3 is is a very humbling reality. There is no way that I can adequately, in our time here tonight, um, communicate to you the powerful profundity of the truth that we are going to get into right now. Um, this is a passage, if we come to a passage that says stop lying, I can give you some good ideas about how to stop lying. But when we come to a passage that explains to us who our creator is as the creatures and as one of God's created beings, we cannot grasp all that there is uh, to know about Jesus Christ. And even traditionally, As we break down Jesus into kind of bite-sized pieces that we can digest, that we can swallow, a lot of times those pieces don't really do justice to the awesomeness that is Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to tell you, this this sermon is not going to be as good as the content of what we are studying here tonight. Okay, Jesus is more awesome than I'm going to be able to communicate to you. I'll give it my best. Okay, but but there is more here than we're going to be able to get to really in all of our lives. And so let's just get into verse one where we use this analogy here. And the analogy goes like this. In the beginning was the word, a title given to Jesus Christ is the word. And let me just make it very clear to you that when it says word, it does mean Jesus. Here's a preview of Thursday night. Jump down to verse 14. Okay, It uses the word, word, logos, three times in the first verse. And then it uses it again in verse 14. And the word... This communication, this expression from God, the essence of God coming to us, this Word became flesh. He actually put on the form of humanity and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In fact, John bore witness of Him, and then later in verse 17, it says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So He's explicitly named uh, that Jesus is the Word, okay? But it does, but every, Jesus is going to have so many different names as we go through the Gospel of John, it's going to be hard to keep track of all of them. Some of them he's going to call himself, some of them other people, or even the writer John will call Jesus different names. So the first name we get for Jesus, let's start, keep, start keeping score right now, how many names of Jesus are we going to get in the Gospel of John? The first one we get is the Word, that, that's the one here. And what does this mean? Okay. Now there's a lot we could get into, um, there's a lot uh, that was going on in the time that John wrote this, this idea of logos was a very Greek philosophical idea. Okay. And basically, this would have been very trendy. This would have really fit in to the the thinking of his day. When he used the word logos to describe Jesus, there was a lot of philosophy going on where the logos was the reason that kind of drove everything. And if you had a right thought, if you had a true thought, then you were getting in touch with the logos that was kind of the ultimate thought guiding everything. And so this was actually a philosophical term in the Greek world of the day that John kind of uses here. And so people debate how much is John really trying to reach out into the culture um, because there was this Jew named Philo who wrote about the Logos. There were the Gnostics that were starting to become uh, common, that they really got into this idea of the Logos. So there's a lot of going on in the day About the Logos. I don't think really John's playing on that as much as he's playing on the Old Testament use of the idea of the word of the Lord. Most of the books in the Old Testament start with, And the word of the Lord came to fill in the prophet's name. Right? Right? And when the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, is translated into Greek, the word you would read in your Old Testament, in your Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every time it said, the word of the Lord came to who? It would say, the Logos, okay? Okay. So I think what he's trying to say ultimately here by using the word word is he's trying to say here's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament was building up to. The revelation of God. Finally what we've been waiting for. Here's God showing himself on a whole new level. The word. Okay. Now that's, that's just about the word word. Now it gives us three different phrases Let's break this verse down into three different phrases, all teaching us something about this logos, this message coming to us from God. So in the first phrase, in the beginning was the Word, okay? Now what we're saying just in that very, that's clearly a reference to Genesis. We'll get to that a little bit later. But what we're saying is there was a beginning. We're talking about a beginning to the space-time continuum that you and I live in, all right? We believe here at this church, we're going to get into it tonight, that God created the world in six literal days. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? Anybody want to throw that out? We believe that God is the creator. And so there was a time before creation. And at that time, right when creation happened, right when we said, let there be light, at that moment in the beginning, the word was already there. Okay, so what it's trying to make very clear is that the Word was not something that was created. The Word did not happen at creation. No, the Word goes beyond creation to this time even in the beginning. Go to the beginning of time. The Word was already there at the beginning of time. What are we getting into about Jesus Christ? What are we learning here? Well, we're learning that He has existed for all of eternity. That's what we're getting into. We're getting into the eternality of Jesus Christ. That there has always been a father and a son. And that they've had a perfect relationship all the way back, not just to the beginning of time, but outside of time, for all of time, before there was time. Is that, is that boggling the mind of anyone yet? Have you, have you really figured out eternity yet? Anybody figured it out? See? I mean, it, it just goes beyond what we can comprehend that at one point there was a beginning and where did this beginning come from well the word was there when the beginning happened and in the beginning this word that was there the word was now it's going to tell us the word was with God he was toward God so what here's what's fascinating is now we're drawing a distinction from the word and God okay so, so, so what we have here is the Word was there and God was there. So really this is a reference here. Uh, if we get our second phrase up, the Word was with God. This is now a reference to the Trinity is what we're really getting to. That this Word, Jesus, the Christ, who's going to come down and be revealed to us. He's going to put on flesh and enter the creation. Well, He was with God even before the beginning. He had a relationship with God he was toward God they were inclined to one another I mean it's just what we're saying here with a very few words it it, is it's it's so simple yet it's so profound we're never going to get to the bottom of it because of course you understand the Trinity and you could explain it to somebody else right I mean it's just it's simple right I mean he's one but he's three that that just makes a lot of sense to all of us here tonight right I mean, I don't know if you've tried to explain the Trinity, but you failed whenever you tried to do it. I'll just tell you that right now. There's no analogy that that makes sense. I mean, this is the diagram that we use here at this church to try to explain. I believe we have it coming up here on the next slide. This is the diagram. Oh, we don't have that diagram. Never mind. Oh, sorry. You'll just have to be in suspense in your mind of what what it might look like. You'll have to go to partners and, and find it. But we have a diagram. It's a triangle. And it's got God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's saying they're all God, but they're all not each other. How can we be all the same and yet all unique persons at the same time? Well, that's what it's saying here. Nobody made up the Trinity because it makes sense. We, we believe it because it's revealed to us here in the Word of God. So already we've got two things we can't comprehend about the Word which is an analogy we'll never get to the end of. Well, it's eternity, which we'll never get to the end of. And it's the Trinity that we'll never get to the end of. And then it says the Word was God. So not only was he toward God, not only was he there with God, but he also was God. So that gives us into now the deity of Jesus Christ. The deity should be our next little dash coming up there. The deity which we're going to spend a majority of the book, we're going to keep coming back to these things. The eternity, the trinity, and the deity. We're going to keep hitting these themes over and over again as we go through the Gospel of John. And so we just want to introduce these ideas that Jesus always has existed. He always existed in perfect relationship with the Father. And not only was He with God, He was the fullness of God Himself. This is Jesus Christ. This is how he's being revealed to us. And and the nuance here is because Jesus is revealed to us, because we have this gospel, we're now going to learn who God is on a whole new level through Jesus Christ. And the progress of revelation, man, the Old Testament shows us who God is, but now, with the revelation of Jesus Christ, we will know God better than we could have without this manifestation of His glory and His Son revealed to us. So point number two, let's put it down like this. You need to know you don't know at all about Jesus. You need to know you don't know at all when it comes to Jesus Christ. And if there's anybody here who thinks, well, I'm familiar with the terms of eternity or trinity, or deity, well, I can tell that by telling me you're familiar with these concepts and you have a grasp of them, that's telling me you really haven't thought about them enough at all. Uh, Because if you feel like you understand eternity, um, how can you? Um, and so we need, all of us need to come and we need to humbly ask God as we enter into this gospel, teach us more than we know right now about Jesus Christ. I, I'm never going to get to the full understanding as a created being. I cannot fully comprehend my creator. I could not figure him out. Uh, so, so teach me more. And we need to humble ourselves. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews The book of Hebrews gives us this same idea of the Word. It's probably the closest parallel passage. The way Hebrews begins and the way the Gospel of John begins, these are probably two of the uh, closest passages we've got in the Scripture. Two of the most glorious passages lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. However high your view is of Jesus coming in here tonight, I can guarantee you this, it could be higher, my friend. And so that's what we need to be praying for and asking for as we get into the study of this gospel. And look what it says here. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, this is Hebrews chapter one, verse one. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here's how it worked in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. It came to Jeremiah. It came to Ezekiel. It came to so-and-so and they started describing for us their revelation for God. But in these last days, the time that we're living in, He has spoken to us. God has expressed Himself to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Now this is sounding very similar to our passage. Here's some other ways to say it. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we can read the Old Testament and we can see the word of the Lord as it came to his people. But something greater than that has happened now. God has spoken to us. He has expressed himself. He has communicated to us in the most awesome way imaginable. He has given us his own son. Now one of the things we're gonna have to do if we're gonna really understand the idea of the sonship of Jesus Christ to the Father is we're gonna have to get into the mindset of the Jewish people who would have read the Gospel of John or who, would, who the book of Hebrews is clearly written to the Jews to encourage them that something greater than the Old Covenant, than the Old Testament is here, we should choose the superiority of the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. So it's written to convince Jews that something better than the Old Testament is here and His name is Jesus. And so there's a key phrase in here that would have jumped out to the Jews. Look back at verse 2. In these last days, he spoke to us, the word of God is actually his own son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Okay? There was a firstborn son in the Jewish culture that was going to inherit everything from his father. Now, we we don't work this way here in America. Okay? Um, In fact, if if, if, uh, we acted like the firstborn in one of our families was going to get a higher uh, ranking or a higher share of the inheritance than the other children, probably most of us would be aghast that you're playing favorites with your kids. How dare you? I mean, that's kind of more of a modern American mindset, right? I mean, to us, I don't know if you think that keeping the Blakey family name or whatever your family name is, I don't know how seriously keeping your family line going is to you, but to the Jew, that kind of would have maybe been the be-all, end-all, that your family, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the genealogy of your family line would have continued. This is a massive idea. So you've got to realize when we talk about Jesus being the son, the only Son, the only begotten. That's a place of position that we're giving to Jesus Christ. Okay? We're not saying like the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to try to tell you if you answer the door when they're knocking for you. They're going to try to tell you that because it says Jesus is the heir or He's the Son or He's the firstborn of all creation, that Jesus must be one of the created things. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Here's our closest other parallel passage if we had to pick three awesome passages on the deity of Jesus Christ John 1 Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 would be the uh, passages we would look at and our friends the Jehovah's Witnesses completely make a mockery of all three of these passages they have to to get away from Jesus being God. And look here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Look how clearly it is stated that Jesus is God here in this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And it goes on to describe all the different things that Jesus has created. And it's trying to tell us the awesomeness and the glory. Look, let's keep reading here. Visible and invisible, physical and spiritual, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and in fact they're all for Him. It's all from Him and it's all for Him. And He is before all things. Now when I read it, that seems pretty clear to me. Does that seem pretty clear to you guys here tonight? Was Jesus before the creation? Did Jesus exist? You guys tell me. Yes, He's he's eternal. Does that work for the Jehovah's Witnesses? No, it does not. Because we have this phrase, go back to verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. Okay? And so they're going to look at that, and they're going to keep telling you over and over, and they've been trained to say it. And they're going to say, see, when it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that means He must have been born. Is that logical? Is that right? No. Okay? Do you have to be born first to be the firstborn? Now, I know you're not an Old Testament Jew, so this might be a challenging question for you, but let's go back to some Old Testament Jews that we know, right? First Jew that we know is Abraham. His son was Isaac, and then the firstborn son of Isaac was, was actually Esau, but the one that we always talk about was Jacob, who was not the firstborn because of something that happened during their life, Esau actually lost his firstborn status, and it was actually given to Jacob, and there was deceit that happened in there, and there was all of this kind of twistedness that happened in that family. Some real life happened in that family, and the son who wasn't born first ended up being the firstborn. So when you read firstborn in the scripture, it is not a order of birth. It is a status that we have given to someone, okay? What we're saying is that Jesus is the one that God has given all of creation. All of creation was started by Jesus and in the end it will be all for his glory. The point of your life, of my life, of all of our lives put together, of all of the lives that have ever lived all over the world is the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible's trying to say. It's all about him. He's the one who is going to get it all. He has the preeminent position. In fact, it it goes on to say that. He is before all things, verse 17. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It doesn't get any more God than Jesus. That's what it's trying to tell us. And in the end every single knee is going to bow and every single tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Can I get any amen from anybody on this? Okay. This is who he is. I mean when, you want, when John writes when he, the author of Hebrews writes, here's Paul in Colossians. I don't think they could have made it more clear and the fact that the Jehovah's Witnesses are so twisting it, and they're so trying to spread it. Man, that should bother every single one of us here tonight. When people take Jesus' name in vain, when they act like Jesus is some teacher, when they call Jesus anything less than God, it should make your blood boil, my friend. And you should say, that's not right. If somebody started saying bad stuff about your wife that wasn't true, if they started saying things about your kids that weren't true, it would offend you. So why are we not offended about the mockery that people are making about our God, our Creator, Jesus? It should bother us, you guys. I mean, we are all living for a moment when Jesus Christ will get all of the glory. That's what we're living for. And as a Christian person, it is our job to give him all of the glory, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, no matter what we are doing, our entire purpose now is now in line with the purpose that was always there from before the beginning. The whole purpose was the glory of Jesus Christ being known. As the water covers the sea, so the glory of Jesus Christ is supposed to cover this earth. That's how we're supposed to think about it. And every day that every knee is not bowing and every tongue is not confessing, I should feel that a little bit in my own soul that all things are from him and all things are for him. And when is going to come the day when Jesus will finally be worshipped by all of his creatures as God? I long for that day. And until that day comes, I'm going to acknowledge in my own little life who Jesus really is, okay? I want you to know that before you were born, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, Jesus Christ is the one who formed you and made you, okay? We need to rethink everything we've ever thought about creation, and we need to put the name of Jesus all over the glory for being our creator. Go back to John chapter 1. And he, he's going to get now into, after this awesome introduction into who Jesus is, that we'll never get to the, we'll never get to the end of the introduction of this book. Okay? As we go through all 21 chapters, we're going to keep coming back to that first verse. But then it goes on to say this in verses 2 and 3. And John kind of knows what he's saying is so profound that he basically re-says it here in verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says this uh, 100% statement in verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Does that sound like it pretty much covers all of it to you guys? Right? In case you didn't get it the positive way, let me also say it the negative way. Just in case you're not... I'm not saying he was there at creation. I'm not saying he did 50% of the creation. I'm saying that Jesus, the Word... The expression of God to man, he is the creator of the heavens and earth. That's what John's saying. If you think of Jesus as anything less than the creator, you need to heighten your view. You need to elevate who who he is in your mind here tonight. Jesus made you and he made everything that you've ever seen on this planet. He made it all back in Genesis chapter 1. Did you know Jesus is all over Genesis chapter 1? Did you know that he's there? Okay, so let's go back there. I feel like we need to go back. We'll go back to the beginning. John's clearly referring to Genesis chapter 1 when he starts throwing out in the beginning. Which seems at one level, like everything John's going to write, so simple. Well, of course, this is the beginning. This is the first thing I'm reading in the entire book. But actually, no, he's talking about the beginning of all things. He's talking about the moment that eternity met time. And he's expanding even how we would think about uh, the life that we're living. That there's something outside of the space and the time that we have experienced. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, now you're thinking, well, where's Jesus in this? Because every time I read it, it, it just said God. Well, keep reading here. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And check this out. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Does that sound like another member of the Trinity was involved here in creation? So we've clearly got God the Father. We've clearly got the Spirit of God. So where, you say to me, is Jesus Christ? We'll jump down to verse 26. And look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And this is why it's so important for us to pay attention to the Hebrew, to the Greek, to the specific details of the language then God said, you guys with me? Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who is he talking to? Who is God talking to when he says, let's make man in our image? You guys shout it out. Jesus. He's talking to Jesus Christ. He's talking to the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is having a conversation that we get to listen in on. Let us make man in image. Our image—that's third person plural, my grammatical friends. After our likeness, okay? That's Jesus Christ right there. If you—if you're looking at your Bible right now and it's Genesis one twenty-six, will you write Jesus next to that verse right there? Okay. I hope that from this moment forward, you can never read Genesis one without thinking Jesus did this. Because that's what the expression of God, the word from the Lord, the way God has spoken to us in these last days, he's saying, hey, I want you to give the glory to Jesus for the work of creation. And it's so important that you see Jesus as the creator. Let's just keep reading here in Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. So man is going to be like us in our likeness. And then man is going to rule over all these other creatures that we have made. Over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now see, it's so important that you and I begin to think of Jesus Christ as our Creator, because if you're still around on Thursday night, it's going to say that the Word, the expression of God, the revelation of God, the exact imprint of God, the radiance, the pinnacle, the brightest spot of all of His glory, the Word became, what is it going to say? The Creator is going to become the creation. It, that's part of the profundity of what is about to happen. See? And so point number three, let's put it down like this. You need to worship Jesus as the creator. It's quite possible that we've have, we have Christian people here in the room tonight. That maybe you've given God the glory for creation. Maybe you've seen a beautiful sunset, or you've seen the birth of, uh, of a child, or um, you've, you've just seen something and you've thought, wow, God made this, I want to give him the glory. But maybe you haven't been given that glory to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've only been given it to the Father. And I just want to encourage you, spread the glory of creation around to all the members of the Trinity, my friends. Okay? Because it says... Jesus made it all. In fact, nothing was made that Jesus did not make, okay? So does that right there, does that, you, some of us, do we realize that we've limited our view of Jesus Christ? Because I didn't see him making that. And there's nothing that you can look at that was made by God that Jesus himself did not make. And so I really want to just challenge us here tonight If we're going to believe all of these things that we're learning about Jesus Christ, we need to be bold when we talk about Jesus, okay? When I I see my kids, one of the things my kids do is they like to play Legos. Does anybody here enjoy Legos? Anybody here? One of the great companies, one of the great toys of all time. In fact, one of the perks of being a dad is Legos get to come back into your life in in a legitimate way. Nobody's going to judge you as a grown man for playing Legos if you have children. It's a great gig, right? And and I have never been afraid, okay? I have never been afraid that the Legos were going to rise up and attack one of my children. But yet we are so afraid of what people think about Jesus Christ that we don't really give him the glory that he deserves. You have held back. Many times, when you could have said that Jesus was the creator of the earth, but because it was going to offend someone, because someone wouldn't take it the right way, because you were intimidated by the other creations around you, you did not give glory to the creator. And I just got to ask you, why are you afraid of what the Legos think? Okay? Let's give the glory to Jesus Christ. Let's leave here tonight. And let's act like everything, hey, you want to go down to the beach? You think Huntington's a great place to live because of the beach? Yeah, you know who made that? Jesus Christ. Hey, you want to go to the park? You want to go on a hike? You want to get out there and go camping somewhere? You know why it's awesome to get out there? Because Jesus made that. Let's give him the glory That he deserves and let's even say it boldly to other people that I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what science is supposedly telling everybody. I don't care if evolution is the theory of our day. I want to make it known to everyone who knows me that I know who made us all. And I know there was nothing made that he didn't make and his name is Jesus. He's the creator. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they look at us, we're, they, they're, they're, we, they think we're snorkeling. And to Stick with the Hawaii theme that we've got going on right now. Snorkeling is not a spectator sport. Have you ever watched people snorkeling? Have you ever sat on the beach? Before I had ever snorkeled, I must admit that I judged snorkelers in my heart. i just just getting honest here. I mean, there's these people out there. They're not moving very fast. And they're just going in a little circle. It seems like an endless circle out there. They're not even out there that deep, you know. And they got the funny looking fins on their feet. And they got this goofy looking tube coming out of the water. And you think, what are they even doing? That's the way a lot of the world looks at people like us who believe in Jesus Christ as the creator of the heavens and the earth. We look foolish to them. That's because they've never seen what's under the water. The first day I went snorkeling, it was one of the most profound times of worship I have ever had in my life. Anybody ever been snorkeling before? I had the privilege of doing it at a great spot, Black Rock Beach on the island of Maui, and I put on some goggles and a little tube, and I went under the water, and I realized that God had created a whole world I'd never seen before. And the colors were popping and all these different shapes and all these different sizes and, uh, and it was so amazing I immediately had to start telling my wife, I had to go buy her some goggles so she could some come see it and then my son, he couldn't even, he probably shouldn't have even been in the water, it probably wasn't safe he was like, I don't even know how old he was, he definitely couldn't swim well I got one of those boogie boards with like a little glass hole in it so I could take him out there in the water so I mean everybody, you guys realize, what's under the water right out here off the beach? I mean, it's amazing what's going on right here. Like, you've never seen this stuff, and just people are looking at me like, what's this guy's problem, right? And then right when you think it can't even get any better, you're pushing your son around, and he's like, Dad, there's 50 fish below us right now. He's shouting to the beach, Hey, everybody, there's 50 fish right here. You're just having this awesome moment with your son. How could it get any better? And a turtle bumps into you right at that moment. It's like, hey, Mister, we're swimming with the turtle right now. This is awesome. See, if you can see that Jesus is the creator, you can see a whole world of awesomeness that the people around you can't see. They're on the surface, and we need to bring them down under the water. There's a whole party going on down there. A whole display of life and color and glory that most of the world is missing out on. And we need to stand up in this day, at this time. You know, the whole problem in America started when we gave up God being the creator. That's when it all started right there. And we stopped giving the glory to Jesus Christ as the one who made all things and nothing was made by Him. Nothing was made not by Him. Go to Romans chapter 1 with me. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And you've got to see here that the issue of Jesus creating, the issue that people giving God the glory for being the creator. There's so many things that we're learning about Jesus Christ here tonight, but I want to make a strong case here that Jesus Christ is the creator, and I want you to think about how this fact that Jesus created you, created everything you've ever seen, and everyone that's ever been, How does that change the way you think about Jesus Christ? And when are you giving him the glory for that? When are you worshiping him as you watch a sunset or as you go snorkeling or as you uh, watch a movie about sharks? Anybody ever worship God watching a movie about sharks? I mean, it's just amazing what they can do. Give God the glory for what he's done. You know, as we get into John, Jesus is going to do some very interesting things. The first miracle he's going to do is he's going to turn water into wine, okay? Then he's going to go later and he's going to show that up a little bit and he's going to walk on water. Then he's just going to take a few loaves and a few fish and he's going to somehow multiply that to feed thousands. Then he's going to go and take a guy who's clearly dead, all dead, stinking there in the tomb, and he's going to raise that guy back to life. And we're going to preach on these things in our church and people are going to look at us and they're going to be like, yeah, I'm not quite sure that really happened. I've never seen anything like that. That's hard for me to imagine. And they're going to act like, I don't know if Jesus could walk on water I don't know if uh, he could turn water into wine and I just got a question, where did water even come from? See? See, if Jesus is the creator, then any miracle, well, that's not that big a deal, really. If he spoke light into existence and the universe was formed, see? If he divided the... uh, heavens from the earth, if he divided the land from the waters, if he made every different kind of creature. See, if he can do that, if Jesus can say, let there be light, and there is, then what can't he do? You know, the only reason the world is still together, the reason the sun hasn't burned us up or we haven't all frozen is because of what it said in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is upholding the universe by what? How is he upholding the universe right now? by the words coming out of his mouth by just speaking it into existence and always keeping it working exactly as it is that's the power of Jesus Christ and so look what it says here in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness here's something that makes God angry ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, because of sin, they suppress the truth. Okay? Now let's just just say this real quickly. Uh, Why do people not want to believe in creation? Okay? Clearly, there has to be a cause. Okay? Clearly, something, someone had to start everything else. That's just logic. Everybody understands that so why don't we want to believe it why would we rather attribute the seeding of our planet to alien life forms rather than give God the glory for making us well here's why because we want to sin that's why we don't. If God is our creator, then God has inherent authority over us. If he made us, then he gets to tell us how we work and how we live and what we should do and what we should not do. He's the one who gets to call all of the shots if he's the one who made us. But we don't want God telling us what to do. We want to tell ourselves what to do. So that's why. We suppress the truth with what? Unrighteousness. It's not about whether people really believe in God or not. It's whether they want to sin or not. For what can be known about God? Look at verse 19. What can be known about God is plain. It's evident. It's obvious. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely the fact that he's eternal, his eternal power, and his divine nature, the fact that there is clearly a God who's existed before time, who who has all power... They've been clearly perceived. And what, what helps us see the invisible spirit God? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, made by Jesus, he made all things, nothing was made that Jesus didn't make. So people, everyone you know, is without excuse. So let's not give them an excuse when the Bible says they don't have one. To believe that God is the creator. If you give up creation, you're giving up more ground than the Bible says you should give. You should act to everyone you know like it's obvious God created the world. It's plain. It's evident. And you should ascribe that glory straight to Jesus Christ. Because here's what's happened. Verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise. And we think we are so wise here in America. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Someone we could be worshipping. And thinking about his eternity. The trinity. His deity. But no. We'd rather be worshipping images resembling mortal man. And birds. And birds and animals, and creeping things. We're more impressed with the creatures than with the Creator. We have got it 100% wrong. And I don't know what you think when you read that, but I think I want to be one of the few, one of those who boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am not going to deny God. I'm going to honor Him. I'm going to give thanks to Him. And I am going to acknowledge Him even with others are not. That the only reason I have ever lived One single moment on this planet is because Jesus made me to do so. And therefore, Jesus gets to tell me what I do, where I do it, and how long I do it. And the day Jesus wants me to die is the day I will die. I only get to live because Jesus made me to live. And I give him the glory. And if anybody wants to take it away from him, well, that's fighting words for me. Because you can't take away the glory from Jesus. It belongs to Him. Jesus is the Creator. He is glorious, He is majestic, and He should be worshipped. So do we here at Compass worship Him? We've given you many reasons to worship Jesus tonight, but particularly, I hope that you'll think about the authority He has over you as your Creator. And if you spend a couple of days thinking about that, it'll be all the more profound when we get to the Creator becoming the creation on Thursday night. What a plot twist we're going to have there. Let me pray for us as we continue our time of worship of Jesus here tonight. God, we thank You so much, God, that You would reveal who You are to us, that You would speak to us through Your Son. And God, we know that it is so hard for us to understand who You are, that we are so limited to behold an eternal, triune, all-powerful God. We cannot fully comprehend You. We are limited in how much we can grasp about You. But God, I pray that that would not be an excuse for us to not seek to learn what You have revealed to us in your word and we thank you for this awesome passage where you have expressed to us who you are through your son Jesus Christ and particularly as we focused on here tonight that Jesus created us God and I pray that we would ascribe to him the glory that is due his name for being our maker and I pray that Jesus would have authority over the life of every single person that's here tonight that there would be no one here who would deny Jesus Christ that they would not acknowledge him as creator, that we would not be thankful to him for giving us life. And that we would go on and try to live on our own in some own universe that we're creating for ourselves. God, help us to see we will never be able to uphold our own universe like Jesus is upholding this universe that he made. And let us give him the glory that he deserves. And let us worship him. Please, God, humble those who think they know enough about Jesus and elevate our view of him. God, let those who have been Christians even for a while, but not really praise Jesus as their creator. Let them begin to do so here tonight. And God, we look forward to the day when every knee will bow and Jesus will finally get the credit that he has deserved this entire time since he spoke the world and universe into existence in Genesis that he, all things are from Him and all things are for Him. And so help us to see Jesus here tonight glorious and mighty and help us to worship Him with all of our hearts we pray in Jesus' name, amen.